you know, the Bible talks a lot about love. Um, and one of the challenging things as Americans in particular, but with the English-speaking world, is we typically have one word for the word love, whereas people who were writing the Bible would have multiple words for our one English word, love. In particular, there was about four words that the New Testament, the newer part, portion, right, Jesus' life following, there's four words in particular that we would use our one word, love, and they would use four different words to describe our one English word, love. And um, some of the words are things, and this is not going to be on the screen, so you can kind of just listen. But there are four Greek words in particular that the Bible would use to describe our one English word, love. Um, one of my favorite uh, Greek words is this Greek word called epithumeo. And epithumeo is this word, and it describes love, but it's more like a longing or a desire for something. Um, and my dad used to always say to me when I was a kid growing up, I would say, oh, I love whatever, something. And he would say to me, he only said two things to me I ever remember my dad saying to me. It was one, he always used to tell me, Brad, something's only worth whatever somebody will pay for it, right? Like, I always thought I had something that's worth so much money. He's like, nope, it's only worth what someone is willing to pay for it. I'm like, okay, whatever, dad. All right, so that was one thing I remember. The other thing I remember him saying is, you can't say you love a thing, He's like, love is only for people. You can't love a thing. But he didn't know about the Greek word epithumeo. Now, my dad was a really smart guy. He has a PhD in physiology and anatomy. He taught, you know, taught medical students. But he didn't know Greek, and he didn't know the word epithumeo. And epithumeo is this word that talks about a longing or a desire for something. And it could be a person. Oftentimes, it's a thing. Like, you know... I'm almost embarrassed to admit this. I'm 55, but I love, I epithumeo frosted flakes. <laughs> Anybody else? Any other lovers of frosted flakes? Raise your hands really high. Don't be ashamed, right? I last night, you know, uh, Simon and Len and Gabe and Morgan's kids were over and we all sat around and had frosted flakes together. And I, I wasn't hungry, I, I didn't need anything to eat, but I just love, I epithumeo frosted flakes. I just can't get enough of them. I just long for them. That's one kind of love. The Bible talks about that. You can epithumeo things, right? Now, you can, that can be an unhealthy longing or desire for something. In our fallen nature, it can cause problems, right? Where I, you know, don't use self-control and... I have three bowls like I had last night, right? And that's called gluttony. That's not called love. It's called gluttony. So there's other Greek words for love that can be confusing. Another Greek word is this word called storge. And storge, S-T-O-R-G-E. And storge is a Greek word for love that the Bible would often use. And that's a love that a family member would have for another family member. And it's the love that would, would oftentimes, you know, my daughter's sitting over here. And, you know, we had great memories grow, going, growing up with her. And, you know, times that we had did memorable things. And I had a storge love for my daughter. It was this father-daughter, this familial-type relationship. And it's healthy, and that's a good thing to have a storge type of. I didn't have epithumeo for her. I had a storge kind of love for her. And, again, we have one word, but... I'm showing you a couple different, you know, ways that we can understand this and how it can be confusing. And the Bible uses another word for love, and it's the word phileo. 
not fish filet, but, you know, kind of filet, right, with a P. And that's where we get Philadelphia, right, which is a city of what? Brotherly love. It's not store gay love in Philadelphia. I might, you know, but they have, they're supposed to be known as Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. It's the love that we as a church community would have for one another, right? Oftentimes we express this brotherly or brotherly sister, this, this love that we have for our friends where we have deep moments of friendships and memories, and, but it's a friendship kind of love. That's another way that the Bible expresses love. So you have Epithumeo, you have storge, and you have phileo. Another word that the Greeks would often use that you don't find in the Bible, but unfortunately, this is the one word that we typically think of when we think of love. We think of eros, E-R-O-S, right? We think of love in that way. And eros is where we get the word erotic from. It's in a healthy way. It's in a romantic kind of love, Right? that a husband and wife would have for one another, right? It's often expressed in a sexual way, right? But in an unhealthy way, eros is expressed, right, in our fallen nature where it's not expressed as a romantic love, but as lust for another person, right? Love at the expense of taking advantage of. It's more about you than it is about this relationship, what you can get from somebody else, right? Eros love. A fifth word, probably the word that the Bible, the New Testament, the Greek uses most often. Matter of fact, our scripture is 1 John chapter 4, right? Remember, it's called 1 John because the person who wrote it was John the Apostle, one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. And he's nearing the end of his life, at the very end of his life. And um, he's writing his last letters to his community to remind them of things. And in this chapter, excuse me, chapter 4, verse 7 through 21, he's going to talk about love. And as a matter of fact, he's going to use this word love. It's like 28 times he uses the word love. 28 times in 14 verses, he talks about love. And it's not eros love. It's not phileo. It's not storge. It's the word agape love. And it's the kind of love that God has for us. It's this unconditional, no strings attached kind of love that God has for us. And that he wants us to have for one another's, one another. What's really interesting, uh, 1 Corinthians, and now we'll get back to 1 John, I hope, maybe. I found out first service I have like, 37 slides, I only got through like 12, so we'll see how far I get. <clears throat> so, it's really interesting. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 13 um, is the love chapter of the Bible. And we read 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I read it just about every single wedding that I do. I read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7. And the Apostle Paul talks a lot about love. And it's not inappropriate to read this love passage at a wedding. But what's really interesting is when Paul wrote this letter to this church in Corinth, and he was expressing, describing what love looks like, how we should practice love, what we should do, he wasn't talking about between a husband and a wife. Now, we elevate this passage and say, oh, well, this just happened. I mean, this is so lofty. This is so 
idealistic. This could only happen in a marriage relationship. Paul's like, no. This is supposed to be your relationship with everybody that you come into contact with. In particular, if you're talking about, we're talking about in the church community, the relationship between Christ followers. Paul's like, this is the way it's supposed to be. Not just in marriage, but with everybody. And it's so interesting in this passage. He says, verse one says, if I could speak all the languages, Paul's writing. And he says, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, like if I was this incredible orator and if I had spiritual gifts, he says, if I could do all these things, but if I didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And I wrote at the very top, all that we say without love, Paul says, is nothing. He's like, oh, could you imagine? Have you ever been around people who are super gifted? You know, and they just know lots of things. They know what to say. They know when to say it. They always have the right words to say. Have you ever been around someone like that? Kind of like a lawyer, like a really good lawyer. Have you ever been around someone like that? Right? Paul says, if you're like that, and you know always what to say, when to say, but you don't have love, it's like... Paul's like, that's what your life is like. You're just like a clanging symbol. All that you say without love. This agape love, not storge, not phileo, not eros, not epithumeo. He says without agape love in your life. You're just like that. So obnoxious and irritating and unpleasant. He goes on, go ahead, next slide. <clears throat> he says, if I understand all of God's secret plans and I possess all knowledge, again, all that I know, if I can say the right things, if I know the right things, again, Paul's like, oh, without love, it's just this clanging symbol. All that we know without love, Paul says. All that I know is nothing. He goes on. It's not just about what I say. It's not just about what I know. But Paul's like, oh, even about what you believe. If I had such faith that I could say to, uh, if I had such faith that I could move mountains, in other words, I had these huge obstacles. He's not talking literally about a mountain. He says there's huge obstacles. You, you trust and you have faith and you believe. If I could do that, I had such faith that I could move mountains, but without, but didn't love others. Again, Paul's like, that's what your life is like, clanging symbol. Go ahead, next slide. Oh, if I gave everything I had to the poor, I know things. I know the right things to say. I have incredible trust, incredible faith. Man, I'm even generous. I give all that I have to the poor, again, without love. 
He's like, all that we give is nothing. One more. And even if I sacrifice my body, I could boast about it. Oh, look at me. I'm a martyr. I gave my life. But if I didn't love others, Paul's like, I would have gained nothing. All that we do without love is nothing. It's like this clanging cymbal. Have you been around people like that? But maybe your own life. I'm going to tell you a story. And don't laugh. This story is not meant to be funny. Um, I think I told, shared it with first service and people were laughing, but I think they were just nervous, you know, because it's so uncomfortable. If you've been around people that are like that, just incredibly talented, gifted, they know what to say, they know what to do, just all those things, but their life is just like, I heard this story last, this past week, true story. I was listening to a podcast and this lady was talking. And she's talking about struggling with God's love. Like, oh, you know, embracing, knowing, because it's difficult. Because again, we have, we have one word love. And there's lots of words in the Bible that specifically or particularly describe, describe love in different ways. And it can be super confusing when people are expressing love and it's just twisted and we have this fallen nature and it can be really confusing at times. And it's hard to love God when somebody's expressing inappropriate love to me. They say, oh, I love you, but it's inappropriate. It's unhealthy. And it's hard to relate back to God. Like, God, do you, I mean, has anybody, you know, this whole message this morning, right? Kind of the big idea that you're supposed to walk away with this morning. Remember, our kids, our children, our little, little kids, all the way up, right? Is walking away this morning like, oh, God, I know that you love me. Like, God, you don't just love other people, but you love me. You sent Jesus to die on the cross for me personally. Like, God, you love me. And in turn, because you love me, God, you call me to love other people. God, because you love me, you change me, you transform me. I can't help but love others. And sometimes for some of you in this room and those of you who are watching, it's like, oh, I just struggle with believing God loves me because of the message somebody else has told me about what love looks like. I was listening to podcasts this week. This lady was sharing her story of struggling with that. And she said, she's probably, this lady's probably in her 50s now. And she's been single her whole life. She's a Christian, single her whole life. And she said, when she was in her 30s, she was still, you know, I mean, she's in her 30s. And she said she had gone on on a date, second date with this guy. And um, it was in February, and so they went to this really nice restaurant, Valentine's Day, and <clears throat> they're just having a great time, whatever. And all of a sudden, he motioned to the maitre d' 
to come up and to bring something over, and he brought a gift over to this woman. And she's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I had no idea. I, I, I didn't bring you anything. He's, oh, no, that's okay. I wasn't expecting you to bring me something. She's like, well, um, okay, well, thank you so much. And he said, well, can you open it? And she's like, now? <laughs> He's like, yeah, can you go ahead and open it now? She's like, okay. So unwraps the box, opens it up. And there in the box, she sees this beautiful, beautiful dress. It was just stunning. Not only that, but she saw the tag just kind of the side, probably strategically placed there. And she recognized the store where it was from, and it was not only beautiful, but it was incredibly expensive dress. And she was, you know, flattered. She was like, wow, second date. And he said, can you try it on? And she's, she's like, oh, no, I don't think so. She's looking at the dress and kind of looking at it, saying, no, no, you know, I don't want to try it now. He's like, no, I really, I, can you, I'd like for you to try it on. She's like, no, no, I really don't want to try it on now. I'll, I'll try it on, you know, thank you so much. I'll try it on later on. He pushes her a third time. He says, no, I really want you to try on this dress now. And she said, well, I don't know. What it, she didn't tell his name. Let's just call his name Bob. You know, she's like, uh, she's like Bob, I, I'm sorry, but um, I, don't, I, I, I don't want to try it on now because the, the dress you got me, is too small. I'm sure you didn't realize it, but, um, you know, you got me a four, and I wear a size eight. I'm sure you didn't, you know. He's like, and she's like, I'm sure you didn't know that. He said, oh, no. He said, I knew you were a size eight. He said, but I wanted to tell you something. He said, the difference between being beautiful and cute is about 20 pounds. And if you would just lose 20 pounds, you could fit into this dress. And you would be beautiful. And she was crushed. Here was this man who twisted, twisted love and said, Oh, no, you're not beautiful. You're overweight. And if you would just lose 20 pounds, you would be she put that dress up in her closet and she was grieved and for years and years she would look at that dress and she would say, can I really, can I really be loved? Can someone really love me the way I am? And I don't know what your story is this morning, but we all walk around with woundedness like that with wounds from whether someone else has said to us, what someone else did to us. And this guy was saying, oh, that, you know, he really cared for this woman. You know, it was just this. He was wealthy. He knew what to say. He had all these things, but it was just a clanging symbol. She struggled God, do you really love me? She said even later on, many years later, she had lost the weight. And she said she could have worn that dress, but she never put that dress on. Even though she could have worn that dress at a later point in her life. 
It was just always this representation of struggling about can she be loved? And God wants us to know this morning, don't ever question or wonder or doubt that I love you, that I sent Jesus for you to die on the cross and to pay a price for your sins and that I love you. You know, if you can go to that, the very second slide, I, I'm going to give you these fill-ins just because I need to and because you guys wrote them on the back of your notes. But there's four fill-ins. Yeah, I'm sure you probably won't remember just about anything else I say, and that's okay, and you can kind of just walk home with that. But in our passage this morning in First uh, John chapter 4, verses uh, 7 through 12 or 18, there's four things specifically that John wants you to know and be reminded Number one, he wants us to know that God is love. He wants us to know that God is the source of love, that God is love. Now that, the Bible's John's assuming you know this, that you've read his letters. God's not only love. God is spirit. God is true. God is holy. God is like. These are all ways to describe the characteristic of who God is. Who God is. But he wants us to know that God is the source of love. This, now, it's not storge. It's not all these other words, right? It's this agape love that God has for us. And that's who God is. That's his character, that God is love. He's the source of love. So if you are ever going to love others the way that God loves us, then we have to be in relationship with him through Jesus Christ. You can love people a lot of different ways, but God says, no, if you want to love others the way that I love you, it requires a relationship with me, and that only happens through Jesus Christ. Now, oftentimes there are people who are not, not even Christians, and they love other people, but there's this, there's this grace that God gives to everyone. The Bible says the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Even people who are not Christ followers can love other people because we are made in the image of God. And so all of us are given that ability to love other people. But to love people the way that God loves us, right? It requires a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. He's the source. That's what John would want us to know. John wants us also to remember and to know that real love, again, real love, not one of these others, not these are terrible, but that real love is God's love for me specifically. Remember, right? That's the whole point. Like, oh, God, I get it that you are the source, but that, God, you love me. Thanks for putting that up there. First John chapter 4, verse 10 says, this is real love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and that he sent Jesus as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Real love, right? Right in the passage, it uses that phrase. Real love is not that we love God, but that he loved us, even in the midst of our sin, that God loved us and sent Jesus as a sacrifice to pay for our sins, to take away our sins. The Psalms say, the Old Testament Psalms, the psalmist says, as far as the east is from the west, God has removed our sins he remembers them no more. You know, you know, you know God is um, omniscient, right? He's all-knowing. You guys knew that, right? How can God, who is all-knowing, remember our sins no more? How's that possible? How can God remember our sins no more? He's all-knowing. Well, what Scripture is saying is that 
because of Jesus going to the cross, when we choose to invite Jesus into our lives, God remembers our sins no more. You know what that means? He chooses to not hold them against us because Jesus has paid the price for our sins. He doesn't hold our sins. Like, what? Who can have that kind of love? Have you ever done something to somebody else? Like that passage in 1 Corinthians says that, you know, don't be a, you know, true love, agape love keeps no record of wrongs. Like, is that hard for anybody in this room? Besides me? Okay, about five of us. Okay, the rest of you are not being honest, I don't think, right? It's super hard to not be a record keeper of wrongs. But Jesus, God, God the Father, doesn't hold our sins. He doesn't keep a record of our wrongs like that and holds them not, not, does not hold them against us. I remember hurting somebody once, you know, and just, you know, just thinking and seeing this person not hold my sins against me was just, it was only because of that person's relationship with Jesus Christ. But they didn't hold my sins against me. They didn't remember them. It's not that they forgot them, but because they were showing me that agape kind of love, they didn't hold them against me. Real love is God's love for me. The third fill-in is that, if we can go back to that, the third fill-in that we're supposed to get from our passage today is that I am loved to love, right? God loves me with this agape kind of love, and we are called then to express that same love, not just to husband and wife or not just to your kids, but you are, we're called to express that agape love to others around us. And the only way that we can truly do that is to be in relationship with God through Jesus Christ. We are loved to love. And that final filling uh, on the back there of your notes says that, that love... Um, John writes at the very end, verses 17, 18, he says, perfect love casts out all fear or love has no fear. Now, our last series, we talked about how um, fear, fear, is, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? And what that meant is having an awe, an honor, a respect, a reverence for God. That's what fear of the Lord is, having an awe, honor, respect, or reverence for God. Fear of the Lord is knowing what God says about right and wrong and then choosing to obey him. That's what the Bible says is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. But what, they're talk, what John's talking about here, how perfect love casts out all fear, it means that when I have to stand before God and give an account for my life, I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to have this phobia of punishment that God's going to punish me. When I experience God's love in my life because I trusted Jesus Christ, you can have assurance and you can have confidence. It says, perfect love casts out fear. I don't have to be afraid of that God's going to punish me. When I can live in that, I'm able to love other people that way. I'm going to read this passage here to you. Gabe's going to come here in just a second. But I want to read this. And you, there's so much here, but um, we'll, we'll carry on next week. But I want to go ahead and read this passage. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Again, John's writing, he's nearing the end of his life. He says, dear friends, my brothers and sisters, let us continue 
to love one another. You guys have been doing it. He says, I know that, I think we have that passage. He says, let us continue to love one another. Like it's a choice, it's a decision that I have to consciously make every day to continue to love people around me. There was a lot of drama going on in this church, a lot of kind of backbiting and confusion and just wondering about like, are you really following Jesus? And just a lot of drama that was going on in this church. He's like, hey guys, I'm ending my life. I've got to remind you, continue to love one another. Why? Well, because love comes from God. God is the source of agape love. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. Now, again, that's not the only characteristic of someone who's a child of God. He says anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. He also says anyone who obeys. He also says anyone who believes and trusts in Jesus Christ is a child of God. Just because you love other people, there are other passages that also kind of talk about them. John's assuming you know, oh yeah, it's about loving other people, but it's also about obedience. It's also about, um, it's also about trusting and believing in Jesus Christ. Paul's like, oh yeah. Or John's like, yeah. A child of God is someone who believes in Jesus, someone who obeys my commandments, someone who loves other people. Or, <laughs> right? Or is this just you? I don't really agape other people. Maybe it's not really, like, it's not super pounding. Maybe you're just, like, annoying. <laughs> Underlying. Just, you know, always there, always there, always there. Because I don't agape people. Because I have never experienced God's love in my life like that. And I don't know how to do that to other people. John goes on. Let's skip a couple uh, slides there. John goes on. Um, let me to verse 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Verse 9. God showed how much he loved us. How? By sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. One last passage. Most of us are familiar with two. Most of us are familiar with uh, John three sixteen, Right? For God, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. John was talking to Nicodemus about being born again. But listen to what, not John 3.16, listen to what 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 says. We know what real love is. Because Jesus gave up his life for me. That's how I know what real love is. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. That is what real love looks like. I know a lot of us in this room again are struggling this morning. Maybe you've never trusted Jesus Christ. In just a moment, John and Jess we're going to come forward and we're going to receive communion together as a community. But I want to pray for you before they do that. For those of you watching online and those of you that are in the room this morning, I want to pray for those of us in here who are just carrying around wounds that nobody else knows about. 
and that woundedness is interfering with your ability, your decision, your desire to love other people. Maybe you've done a good job at phileo or at storge or one of these other ways, but this agape love, you're struggling with knowing, experiencing God's love in your own life because of that woundedness. So I want to pray for you. Jesus, I pray for my friends that are here this morning that are struggling that are hurting, that are feeling wounded this morning because someone's expressed love to them in an unhealthy, inappropriate, harmful, wounding way. Jesus, would you come this morning? Would you begin to bring release from past trauma and hurt and wounds? And would you bring the healing in the form of your love, your agape love this morning. That every person under the sound of my voice and those who are watching online would know, Jesus, that you love them. That God, I am loved by you. Father, pray for those, of, those that are here this morning, those that are listening online, that have never surrendered their life to you. They've never trusted you, Jesus. They've never taken that next step that today would be that day that they would say, Jesus, I want to be a follower of you. God, I want to be a part of your family. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you died and rose again, that you went to the cross for me. I don't understand it all. But this morning, Jesus, I want to surrender my life to you. And I want to follow you. I invite you into my heart, Jesus. If that's you, would you just pray to yours? You can pray to yourself with me, those online, those in the room this morning. Just pray with me. Jesus, this morning, I come before you. And I ask for you, Jesus, to come into my life. Jesus, would you forgive me of my sins, my past? Jesus, may I experience your love for me this morning. I don't understand it all but I want to trust you and follow you this morning, Jesus. I believe you are the way to the Father. Would you change me and transform me, Jesus, this morning as I take this first step towards you? May your love flood my heart. Jesus, through your strength, help me to be like you. In your name I pray.